Thank you for joining us for the Sunrise Message of the Week podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Sunrise Christian Center and our sponsors, The Sin Network and Seattle Bible College. For more information, check out our website at isunrise.org. Help us get the word out by subscribing, downloading, rating, and commenting on our podcast. The more you interact with our content, the more people will hear it. This week, Pastor Dan brings us a message entitled, Don't Toot Your Own Horn. So we're going to look at giving of alms, or the message is titled, Giving of Alms, or Don't Toot Your Own Horn. Don't toot your own horn. Psalm 112, verse 9 says, He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. So the Bible is very clear that God has a heart for the people that are poor, and God loves to bless those who give to the poor. And we're going to talk about almsgiving or charitable deeds, as it says in the New King James Version. And we're to have a righteousness, Jesus was teaching in this passage, Matthew 5 to 7, that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. So he was talking to them about their religious culture. And you know, do you know as Pentecostals and Charismatics, we can have our own religious culture? I hate to shock all of you, but we can. We can have our little religious things. Like I remember, you know, sometimes we just think, well, we lift our hands and worship and praise. And I remember watching two ladies uh, supposedly worshiping and praising the Lord like this and then going, where do you want to go to lunch today? So we, we can have outward Pentecostal forms that are, you know, you know, <laughs> it's not really reflecting maybe what's in our heart. And uh, just use that as an example. Don't get over, you know, don't need to tell me, well, they could have. I, I know people are human. We all make mistakes. But we need to have a practical righteousness. Jesus is very supernatural, but he's very practical. And he was teaching us in the Sermon on how to live the Christian life in such a way that we honor God and we let our light shine before men. Very, very important we learn how to do that. So we need to have true righteousness that comes from our heart, from within, that is practically walked out in our actions that come from our heart. Uh, if you've never read this book, it's probably one of my favorite books. You know, I have a lot of favorite. I have all 66 books of the Bible are my favorite book in the Bible. But this is really one of those books that stand out. It was written by E. Stanley Jones. I've had it for a long time. Uh, it's called The Unshakable Kingdom and the Unchanging Person. And he talks a lot about his kingdom coming, and he talks about the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this about what we're going to read. After laying down the absoluteness of the kingdom and the perfectness that will come as a result of being completely committed to that absoluteness, Jesus then points out nine ways the kingdom of God is blocked in our lives. There are nine Beatitudes, and now there are nine hindrances to the kingdom expressed in the Beatitudes sharing an inner division in thought and life. The first one is we're going to look at today, the first four verses. You do your beautiful religious acts with divided motives. You give your alms to God, but you also want to be seen of men. That's the first one. The second one is that you pray in two directions. You pray to God, but you want to make sure that people are hearing you. So you're really hoping that they will hear you as you pray. You, you fast with a divided purpose. You fast to want to hear from God, but you also want everybody to know that you're fasting. And so what happens is, and there's nine of those that we're going to look over the next few weeks as we go through all of Matthew 6, Pastor John and I. And so I want to encourage you, if we're going to see the kingdom advance, then we're going to have the kingdom heart of a disciple, which is really what Jesus is after, is making disciples, followers of Jesus. 
not followers of people, but followers of Jesus, people that act like him. And not only, um, not only are we supposed to, you know, think like Jesus, we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to manifest his presence. So the Pharisees sought to gain favor with God, and they also sought to have the attention of men. That was their problem. And it's, I know it's a battle that we all can fight. And I remember as we talk about alms and almsgiving and charitable deeds, at the end of the message, I'm going to talk about the four types of giving the Bible talks about. Because often we don't understand there's different types of giving and there's different types of rewards. And there's a motivation in each of them that's from God to give. And each one of them has a different reward as we're obedient to God. And I think often we just throw giving in one big pile and one big lump and say, well, I just, you know, give as the Lord leads me when he tells me to. And well, he's already told us in his word, this is what we're supposed to do. So, you know, sometimes people are waiting for God to speak to them what he's already spoken about. And he's already said, do this. So I don't have to pray. Am I supposed to do this? He told me to do it. So it's an act of obedience. If I love him, I obey him. So we're going to look at that as we look. But in Acts chapter 3, remember Peter and John, as they were just going to the, the hour of prayer, they were going to the, the early morning man prayer, Women Crush Wednesday, or you know one of our prayer nights, they were going to the temple to pray. And as they were, there was a man who for over 40 years had had deformed ankle bones. He was joined. Uh, if you look at the technical terms, it means basically probably his ankle bones were calcified. He couldn't walk. And he said, you know, alms for the poor. He, he was sitting there begging there probably for a long time. And see, really what's happening, I believe God's preparing the world for us to come across their path because they're lame in sin and they're, they're looking for something all in the wrong places in the wrong way. And as we walk through our daily lives, they're waiting for us to come by and say, you know, we don't have what you want, but we can give you what we do have. And what we have is you can rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. I want to see people running through this church, walking and leaping, praising God that can't walk. Because we give them the kingdom, and part of the kingdom is healing. Part of salvation is not only being forgiven for our sins, but being saved. So as we're talking about charitable deeds, as we're going about our daily business, we can do charitable deeds of healing and preaching the gospel and giving to the poor and caring for people and giving our lives away. That's, that's the joy of being a Christian is, is we get to be givers like him. So Father, I pray as we read these next four verses, take the few minutes that we have and I pray that through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you would speak through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead us and guide us into all truth. We admit that we don't know everything. Although sometimes we sound and act like we do, we thank you that we depend on you alone to guide us. We humble ourselves before you. In an area where there's so many angry and prideful and so many experts and so many scientific experts and medical experts and Lord, uh, spiritual experts and political experts and all these people. And I'll never forget what you spoke through T.D. Jakes when all this first started. He said, the experts don't know anything. But we thank you. You know everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And he didn't mean they don't know anything, but in comparison to God, they don't know anything. So let's look at the first uh, four verses of Matthew chapter 6. It says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, uh, you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing 
that your charitable deed may be in secret, that your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So first of all, Jesus says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds. So often when Jesus taught, he said, before he told us what to do, he told us what not to do. So sometimes we have to stop what we're doing to, to learn new things or to change the way that we're doing things. He said, don't do them before men to be seen of men. Charitable deeds are the giving of alms in some versions, which means good deeds or deeds of righteousness or giving to someone who's in need or poor is very important in the Christian life. One of the great histories of Christianity is all the hospitals, all of the um, nurses and doctors, all of the colleges that basically in America, most of the renowned colleges started as actually theological centers. All the missions that have been done through not just America, but you know, sometimes we make America the center of the universe. I love what Dr. Michael Brown said this last week in one of our uh, group kind of chats we're involved with with Joseph Materi, do you know that God loves Zimbabwe as much as he loves the United States of America? And sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own selves that we forget God loves the whole world. And he loves every nation. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that from time to time. And we need to, to give. And he said to do it in secret or anonymously. Now, does that mean we should always give anonymously? No. If you look at the scriptures, there's many examples in the scriptures that that tell us that Jesus looked at her, they knew what people gave. It's only talking about our almsgiving. When we, we do something for someone who's poor, we should just do it and we should be motivated by sympathy that we see they're in need and in the goodness of our heart, we do something for them. And if, if we tell men we've done it or we want everybody to know that how much we gave or what we did for these people, if that's our motivation, then Jesus says your reward will be when they say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Look what they did, that's your reward. But if you do it anonymously before him and just unto him, guess what happens? He'll reward you openly. Because he's the God who sees and lives in secret. We'll talk about that in a moment. So is our, our giving always supposed to be anonymously? No, because we find in Acts chapter 4, verse 34 to 37, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed each as everyone had need, as anyone had need. And, and uh, Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This was done in secret. Or this was not done in secret, excuse me. They, they all came and they offered and they laid the money at the apostles' feet. They weren't doing it secretly. And Barnabas sold a piece of property and gave all the money. Well, then in Acts chapter 5, we find out there's uh, two people that are married named Ananias and Sapphira. And it says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira's wife sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and kept back part of the price of the land for yourself? So they were appearing to look like they'd given everything when they were being hypocritical that they haven't. He said, you know, before you gave it, it was yours. And while you gave it, it was yours. And what God wants is us not to be hypocrites, not to be mask wearers, not to appear to be doing something we know in our heart we're not doing. And so Ananias and Sapphira, I used to say that Ananias got killed in the first service and Sapphira got killed in the second until someone walked up to me after service and said, Pastor, my nephew was at the church for the first time and they think someone died in the nine o'clock service. So just, that was just my attempt of 
probably dad's sense of humor, and it, it didn't work out good in that case. But see, they, they pretended like they gave everything when they knew and they'd conspired together. And they said, you weren't just, you know, fooling people. You tried to fool, you're not fooling God. And, you know, it was, it was a pretty heavy price. But when the glory of God, you know, we pray for the glory of God to come. Do you know when the glory of God comes on a nation or a people? Also stricter judgments come on a nation. And things happen like the book of Acts. And because God is ready to, I believe, pour out a worldwide revival over all the earth, we need to prepare ourselves. So if, if, if Jesus is a giving savior, don't you think his disciples should be giving? If Jesus took care of the poor and, and saw people in need and multiplied the loaves and the fish, and if he was a shepherd that was moved with compassion, what if the church looked at the world situation we're in and actually got moved with compassion who, with people who are deceived and are obviously running around as sheep without a shepherd? He was moved with compassion, and what did he do? Did he argue about their philosophies? No, he went and preached the gospel and taught them about the things of the kingdom. And he gave to the poor and he met the needs of people and he caused the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. What if that became the church of Jesus Christ in this hour Amen. where we met the needs of the poor and people that they're really sheep without a shepherd just like you and I were before we got saved. So first of all, in the first verse, we need to make this application. Take heed. Stop and look what Jesus is saying. We need to do our almsgiving before him and be motivated by sympathy. And he tells us that the reward for that is that he will repay us. Now that doesn't mean if you gave $100 somebody need that God's going to give you $100 tomorrow. He can repay us in many ways, although sometimes he does that. But that is the promise he made we'll talk about at the end of the message. Secondly, when you do your charitable deeds, don't toot your own horn. You know, the Pharisees... Uh, scholars, you know, disagree about this, whether they really stood on this corner and went, doo, 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 doo. you know, we are giving money to the poor now. You know, looking like, look at our religious activity. Look at what we're doing. And he's saying, you know, if you want to do that, when men and women applaud you or your motivation is for them to see you, that, that when they see you, you get your reward. You got exactly what you wanted. They applauded you. But if you do it, anonymously and quietly as unto the Father, guess what? The Father will openly reward you. And often we like to toot our own horns. Now only toot your horn if you're the first chair in the orchestra and you play first trumpet. And the hypocrites, which means to put on an act or to read a script or to be a play actor, the word hypocrisy basically means to wear a mask. It came from like somebody um, taking on a role. So like when I was in high school, we did the sound of music and I was Friedrich, the oldest boy. And so I had to sing, you know, goodbye, goodbye. So I had to act like Friedrich, like a German boy. And I had to sing, you know, how do you, and I knew every song in the sound of Maria. It really worked good for me on our anniversary when we were in Italy and they were playing all the sound of music songs. And I took my wife there for a romantic, it just, God just did a bunch of miracles. And so we danced in the plaza in the middle of Italy in um, Venice while the orchestras were playing. And I'm singing all the psalms. How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you call a call and print it down? You know, I can sing all, Edelweiss, Edelweiss. See, it was really great for me, but I, I had learned how to put on an act. I was an actor. I had to put on a costume. I had to, I had to think like, like the oldest boy would think. I had to act kind of goofy. Because well, it was easy when you're 17 years old sometimes to act goofy. It's easy when you're 67 sometimes to act goofy. I just ask my grandkids, they go, Papa, stop it, you're embarrassing us. I go, that's my job. I'm supposed to embarrass my grandkids. 
And see, what they were trying to do is they were trying to act religious or like they were doing something when they knew in their heart they were really hoping that men would applaud them. They were really hoping that men would pat them and they say, oh, aren't you wonderful? And it's really, really important that we realize as we give, according to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, that we do uh, something else other than what, the way they did it. And I love what it says in John 8, 15. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. And what Jesus was saying, I don't do what I do for my own glory. Think about it. God manifest in the flesh, humbled himself and came down and said, I don't do these things for my own glory. I do it for the glory of the one who seeks those who will honor and glorify him. He said, I didn't come to glorify myself. I came to glorify him. And you begin to live for an audience of one. You begin to please the one who gave his son for you. You begin to please the one who died on the cross. And you don't live for the applause of men anymore. You don't look for the accolades of men, but you realize for me, I've realized this week that for 45 and a half years, he took a young man's life that was 21, riddled by drugs and confusion and alcohol and full of sin. And he gave me over to a reprobate mind and his mercy to draw me back to Jesus. And I believe it's one of the plans God's using right now. People are going to give themselves over to sin and they're going to fight God, but you know what? They're going to come up empty just like you and I have. And they're going to realize they have a need for a savior. And I lost my mind. And he poured out mercy on me. And I'll tell you, as I've gotten older, you know what? I don't so much care about what people say or what people think because I, I want to live to please the audience of one. And I want to live in his presence and please and honor him. I was thinking, as I was sitting at the start of the second service, I remember when John was a little boy and he went to Snohomish County Christian School and he, he uh, came home and said, Dad, uh, I prayed at school and the Holy Spirit fell on the school. And he said, I, I think the principal wants me to speak to the whole school. And so he was sitting, I was sitting in my chair and he was kind of sitting beside me. And I said, well, John, you know, they're like a Bob Jones University school. And, you know, they already kicked Benny Perez out of the school when he was there. And they let me come and do things like that. But, you know, I'm a little older and I think you need to use wisdom. And, you know, what, what did God tell you? He said, oh, he just called me to pray for everybody and invite the Holy Spirit to fall on everybody. And as a dad, I'm picturing in my mind, how's this going to happen? I said, well, John, you know, God gives wisdom too. And sometimes you need to be careful about what you do. And I was kind of thinking like that and talking. And I went to turn around and he was like this close to my face. He's a junior higher. I mean, he's like seventh or eighth grade. And he said, dad, I said the Holy Spirit said to call upon him and tell him to fall on everybody. And I realized he's heard from God. And he did. And he called on the Holy Spirit and he fell on the whole school when he was in junior high. Because he wasn't worried about what, what his fellow students were going to think. or what, And it opened the door for us actually to go many years on the campus. I got to cast demons out of kids. They didn't even, the faculty didn't even know what was happening. They said, we don't know what happened to the kid, but he's doing really good now. I said, isn't it? They said, what would you do? I said, I just prayed and Jesus set him free. And they said, oh, thank you very much. Because <laughs> I knew their theology had no, had no frame of reference. It was more important that the boy was set free than, I, than that their theology agreed with my theology. They needed to be delivered. And through that process, through the earning the right over the weeks and the months, I remember the first day the principal, she says, Pastor Hammer, I think Jesus actually spoke to me for the first time. And she was like a little kid in the candy shop because we built a relationship. But I also learned from John, you know what? Sometimes as an older person, we want to please people more than we want to please God. So don't toot your own horn. And if you do, guess what? You'll get all the reward you want. People will pat you on the back. 
but there'll be no reward in heaven. I love the scripture that says, when man says, my glory, heaven declares back no glory. So when we seek our own glory, guess what heaven says back to us? No glory. When you go to the bank of heaven, I'm sorry, but no glory. But when you and I live to please the one who died for us, and we live for an audience of one in the secret place, guess what begins to happen? God begins to move all over the place. Thirdly, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I know people have told me, so pastor, I'm going to give my tithe, but I don't want my left hand and my right hand to know what they're doing. So should I give with my left hand and not have my right hand out front? And I said, well, that's between you and God. It was a hyperbole. It was a form of speech, you know, like laughing your head off. When you said, oh man, we were laughing our heads off. Now I hope none of your heads came off. And people say, well, would Jesus lie? No, he wasn't lying. He was using an idiom. He was using a figure of speech. It was like he said, you know, if your eye offends you, gouge it out. If your hand offends you, chop. Did he, did he really want them to gouge their eyes out and chop? It, it would have been a pretty ugly looking church <laughs> with no arms and limbs and eyes and brains in their heads. He was using a figure of speech. See, some people take everything way too literally. So he was using a figure of speech they would understand. He was just saying, you know what? Do it anonymously. Do it just before God. And so I, I, people say, are you sure I'm not just supposed to do it with my left hand? Isn't that more biblical? I say, well, it's really about your heart. It's really more about your motive. It's really more about why you're doing it. It was a proverbial thing. It was uh, hyperbole. Um, the people knew what Jesus was saying in their time and their culture, what, exactly what he was saying. You know, don't do it like the Pharisees and blow a horn and show yourself off. Just do it anonymously, quietly. When you give to someone in need. Because you know that they're poor and they probably already feel bad about that they're poor and they don't have their needs met. They probably, you know, look at things. And often, you know, we've gone to help people that are poor and we show up at the door and say, oh, you know, we've come to help you from the church. And we know you don't have money, so we've come to give you money. And, you know, how, how does the father and the mother of that family feel when you do? But if you know they have a friend and you just quietly slip it to them and, you know, put $200 and say, don't let them know where it came from. Just tell them it's from God and it's for Christmas. And then you don't sit there and say, well, I don't want people. You just give it to them and say, please. And then just ask them later on, Did, were you able to give it to them? And great. Well, they wanted to thank you. said, don't worry about that. See, when, when you live a, of a motivation to not, to not dishonor people. I remember when I was in graduate school and we had a black instructor and I, I loved what he said. He said, you know, often um, sometimes white Christians in a community mean to do well. But they might go to a home where, say, someone's of a different culture, is black or Hispanic, and they bring, like, Christmas gifts to the door, and, you know, they, they, um, they gave Christmas gifts, and this one church I knew was doing this, and they learned from this lesson. And they gave gifts out, and the first year, the father and the mother were there, and the kids were in the, in the living room, and they came back the next year, and then the father was standing in the doorway, the mother was there with the kids. The third year they came, the mother, and the, the mother was in the doorway, the father wasn't seen. And the next time, the kids didn't even really want to open the door. And they said, God, what's the matter? We're just trying to show love. And he said, did you ever realize what you're doing to that family and giving this way? Do you know how you make them feel when you do that? You remind the father maybe that he's not able to supply. And it, it could happen the other way around. In our culture, there's many black families that are well more way off than a lot of white families that are in poverty in places around the world. So it's not just about black and white or Hispanic but the principle of you need to think about the person you're giving to and how they would receive it. What would be the best way for them to receive it? So that they said, God, we're sorry. We didn't even know we were doing this. Often we're just ignorant of what we're doing. 
They said, what should we do? And he said, I want you to buy all the presents. God is so wise. He said, I want you to buy all the presents. I want you to open the store. I want you to let them buy coupons for $2. They can buy anything in the store for $2 with a coupon. And you empower the father to be able to go get the gifts and the mother, and you empower them to be the leaders of their family. Kingdom. You know what the Lord said to him? Even Bill Gates likes the sale. And so they got to buy the gift. They got to get the gift. They got to pick the gift out. You see what I'm saying? One of the reasons why you do it anonymously is you don't want to embarrass the people that are in need. I remember the first time someone tried to help me as a Christian and we didn't have enough money when we worked at the church to pay our bills. When we gave tithes and offerings, we knew we already didn't have enough money to pay our bills and it was even in the natural worse off. But God always provided for us all through that time. I remember once somebody came to give me $50 and they drove up in the car and God had told them they gave me $50 and I said, I, I, said, I don't need your money. I was proud and I threw it on the ground. And then I picked it up and I threw it in their car. And as they drove off, I was walking out of the church building. It was a young man, younger than me. The Lord said, you just robbed his blessing. You just tore his seed out of the ground. You just robbed him from what I wanted to do for him. And he goes, you're proud. You need to humble yourself. And you just tore his seed out of the ground, and you just stopped the greatest blessing, one of the greatest blessings he was ever going to receive. And it changed my thinking. Because we think like Americans, don't we? Oh, we're rich, everybody else is poor. But you know, kingdom principles work no matter if you're rich or poor. No matter what color your skin is. And it's really about the motivation of what's motivating our heart. If our, our heart is really to help someone in need, it should be to empower them and help them as much as we can without embarrassing them. Do you notice how many times Jesus threw people off to the side that had needs? That had probably been ridiculed about their handicaps or their blindness and he took them aside? And didn't make a spectacle out. See, sometimes we make spectacles out of people so people will think, whoa, look at, look at their wonderful ministry. Look how powerful they are. So we have to be very careful about our motivation. So keep a low profile. Listen to this. I, when Noma typed some of the notes for me, she said, boy, I really like that. And I said, that, I was thinking that's the one I like too. It's, it's Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I think the quote's up. Is it on the notes? Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, keep the thing so secret that even you yourself are hardly aware that you are doing anything at all praiseworthy. Let God be present and you will have enough of an audience. Let God be present and you will have a... Why do we want to please people? You know, for many years as a pastor, I, I tried to live to please people. Can I tell you from my experience, it doesn't work. You'll please some and others won't be happy and... You, you know, I remember people used to come out and say, you know, you know what this church did to me? And this person did this, and you did this, Pastor, and you weren't there for me. And, da, da, da. and I, you know, I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, and I'd try and make it up, and I'd try and be everybody's Savior, which I got fired real quick from being the Savior of the world. I'm not very good at it. And I remember the day my wife had me on the, I was sitting on the bed. There was one family that I had gone and helped for years and years not only at my last church, but this church, and wherever there was a problem, I'd get on Super Pastor Cape. Here I am to save the day. We know that Pastor Dan is on the way. I'd fly off. And they'd have a big battle, and you know they were alcoholics and had problems, and I'd go back and I'd calm everybody down and tell them how to talk, and I realized I was parenting their family. I didn't realize at the time, but I, I was doing my past. I was being a good pastor. And God said, you're messing up everything I'm trying to do in their lives. 
But it only happened when I was sitting on the bed after I had you know, took, taken my cape off and sat on the bed with my wife. We're living in this little old house in Mount Lake Terrace. It was a terrible house. I don't know how she ever agreed to let it aspire, although it had a new kitchen. That was the only thing good in it. Everything was awful. Cost us a grand total of $75,000. We couldn't afford it. My parents, my dad, and my sister helped us pay for it, and we paid them back by taking off part of it. That's too long a story. Let's sidetrack us. Anyway, and she looks at me, and she says, you should have been a monk. And I was taking my shoes. I was laughing. I said, you're funny in a Catholic background. And and I turned around, and and she, she was crying. She said, I'm not kidding. She said, anybody in the church calls you day or night, you just get on your Superman pastor cape and fly off. And then you come home, and guess what? For me and the kids, there's nothing left over. We get the leftovers, and there's nothing left over. And it was like a sword went through my heart, and I realized God said, you know what? You're, you're not fathering people, you're mothering people. And you're working them out of the very situations I put them in to work in them. And, and God began to deliver me from pleasing people. He, he, he delivered me from a spirit of rejection. That I thought I had to have people like me to be accepted. But then I started realizing I get accepted by him. I don't have to really worry a whole lot about what people think. Not that you don't care about people or you're not concerned about them. But I was no longer ministering people out of a need for them to like me. I now realize when they got angry at me in the church and other things, I wasn't the problem and the church wasn't the problem. Because when the people left the church and went to the next church, they had the same problem at the next church. And so then I was free to minister to them, and I, I didn't take it personal what they said. And I realized their anger really wasn't, it was misdirected at me, but they had their own needs. And I really realized it when I got a phone call one day from a man who was a perpetual problem. He's in heaven now. And he would call, and he would tell off the secretaries and scream at them and swear at them. And he called me a Ezekiel 34 pastor. And, and I, I finally just got on the phone and said, give me the phone. And I said, if you call back again, we're going to and harass these ladies at the front desk. You're going to be arrested. We're calling the police. He said, I don't know how you're going to sleep tonight. And I said, well, it's going to be real easy. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to pull back my covers. I'm going to fluff up my pillow. I got my pajamas on. I'm going to get under the covers and pull. And I'm going to put my arm around my wife and have one of the sweetest sleep. I can't believe you're. I said, look it. Whether I sleep tonight or not has nothing to do with your problem. I'm not going to help you by, you know, say, oh, yeah, you know, I should feel really bad because because then you're, you're enmeshed in their problem and you're not able to help them. And you're, you're, you're enabling people to continue to live a, a lifestyle in a way that's not pleasing to Jesus or other people. And we don't help people when we do that. But when we live for an audience of one and realize we're accepted in him and loved by him, and it's something we grow in. Many of the great heroes of the faith said it wasn't for many years after they were saved that they could literally say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me practically. See, that's the goal, to live practically a Christ-centered life where we're not motivated by our own needs, but we're so having our needs met by him that we can minister to the needs of others. So important. So let's keep a low profile. Pride can be very subtle. Pride's not always a big thing. Sometimes it's a very subtle way that we show forth our pride. So give humbly and do it in God and his presence. Learn, may we learn to live in the audience of one. May we learn to go into the secret place because the Father lives in the secret place. And for years I heard messages on the secret place. Have you come into the secret place? And it was so spooky. It was almost like, you know, room 33 at Disneyland. It took me years to find out where that was. The special secret room where people with enough money and prestige could go in this little secret hole by Pirates of the Caribbean. 
you almost don't even see it until you see the little 33 over the door. Anybody else seen it, gone to Disneyland and figured all that out? My wife figures out all that stuff. <laughs> and I thought, what's the secret place? I, I, I don't know where the secret is. Nobody's told me all these years I haven't been in the ministry. None of my mentors, none of my teachers told me where the secret place. So I started to do a study on the secret place. It first meant as a word that it was the place you put your valuables, like a place in your home where you would hide your valuable things. Then it was next as it moved on through history, it became the place like a safety deposit box, like in a bank, where you went and you stored your valuables and they were secured. But in Jesus' time, as he was walking, it literally meant the bedchamber of a husband and wife, the secret place where a husband and a wife went to be alone and all the rest of the world, all their kids were locked out of that place of physical intimacy and emotional intimacy that would happen in their bedchamber only. So what Jesus was saying, the secret place is to live intimately with him, to live in that place of relationship. And I could stop the message right now and I could just go here and I could go, Jesus, I love you. Lord, I just want to be in the secret place with you. Lord, I'm, I'm just here for you. Guide me today and order my steps. I just want to walk to please you. And I realized I can go to the secret place whenever I want. It's the place of intimacy with Jesus. That's why the disciples said, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. They saw in Jesus the secret to his life and his ministry was the time he spent alone with the Father in the secret place. Fourthly, he says, do your charitable deeds in secret. We're about ready to land the plane here or the rocket ship. Because your Father sees in secret as you give in secret, hidden from others and just before him, then he will reward you openly. And he lives in the secret place. And he openly rewards the kind of giving that's motivated from the heart to please him alone. To love him, to serve him, to honor him. And it's, it's amazing what he does. And may, may God's love motivate us. And I've had people say, well, I don't feel like I'm motivated like that. I'm having a problem. I said, well, good, because we all have. If we're honest. But you can begin to say, Lord, help me to be motivated with the right motives. Help my heart to be like your heart. Show me when I'm not being motivated by a heart like yours to have the kingdom heart of a disciple, to want to please him, to want to honor him, to want to exalt him, to want to magnify him. And show me those in need who, who I could help, who I could bless in some way, or I could give something to. It might be your time. Sometimes your time is way more valuable than your money. It might be your listening ear. It might be a meal. It might be opening your home for a night. I remember when a lady came to our house when we first started the church and she talked for two hours straight. We didn't say a word. She looked at my wife and said, you've helped us so much, you don't know how much you've helped me. And she walked out the door and we stood there and said, we didn't do anything. And then God said, yes, you did. You're the only people that listened to her for the whole week. You gave her two hours of your time just to pour out her heart and that's all she needed. But if they're just another person, they're needy and they don't need you, but you begin to say, Lord, why is this person here? What can I do to help them? How can I serve them? What are you doing in their life, Father? Because Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And we don't have to make it spooky, wooky, spiritual stuff. It can just be, Lord, show me. You know, if, if Hansel's in my presence, Lord, how can I bless Hansel? How can I bless Lorna today? How do you want me to minister to their needs? Show me what, what you're doing in their life so I can work with you today. It's that simple. Then he starts to show you and you start to listen to people. And then as you're listening to them, God starts to speak to your heart about their needs. Some get confused and put giving all in pots. So this is, we're getting down, almost touching the runway. There's four types of giving. There'll be a chart that will come up that I think might help you about giving because we need to be a generous people. The first type of giving is tithe. 
It says in Malachi 3, I already read it, that if you bring your tithe and your offerings into the storehouse, God will open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that you cannot contain, and he'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. So the tithe is one type of giving. We're to bring our tithe into the storehouse, which I believe biblically is a, the storehouse is your local church, your church family, where you live, where you move, you bring your tithe. See, offerings don't start until after you've already given God back his tithe. When you give God back his tithe, you've given him what belongs to him. Then you start anything above and beyond that. So I've, my wife and I have learned to practice bringing tithes and offerings into the local church. And we do that regularly. We have done it for 45 years. And then there's the second type of giving that you'll find is first fruits. And this is again motivated by the same type of thing, obedience, that your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats uh, brims will overflow with new wine. And I love what it says in Ezekiel 44:30. The best of all the first fruits and of all your special gifts will be belong to the priests. You are to give them the first portion of your ground meal so that a blessing may rest on your household. So one of the things that we did and we started to practice is every year, if I get a raise or something like that happens, then what I do is my wife and I pray, and we take the first fruits, the first of that increase, so if we get a, a paycheck raise, we, we give it to someone in our life that's been like a spiritual father or mother to us. Please understand, I'm not saying this to have you give me something. It's about what we do. This is between us and the Lord. And you know what we do? We, we do that, and many of them say things like, nobody's ever done this, they cry. We don't do that. We do that to honor them and to honor the Lord. And we pray and say, Lord, who do you want us to bless with the first fruits? You gave us an increase. And so because you've given us an increase, we want to give that away as a thanksgiving to the people that have helped us become more like you. So we offer the first fruits like they did to the priests in Ezekiel 44, 30. There's other scriptures that talk about that. Then there's the third, the alms are the charitable deeds. You give out of, out of seeing someone's in need and you have the ability to help them. And so you, out of sympathy of your heart, you give. And the Lord's reward is he said he will pay you back. That's what he said he would do in Proverbs chapter, I believe it's uh, 3. If I can find the right verses here. I don't know if I have them, but I can give them to you later. And then the last one is the seed. The type of giving is a seed faith. It's a gift that we give of faith. And one of the things we're going to be doing is a, a heart for the house offering on March 7th. We want to build the kitchen out. We want to get a place of fellowship where we can have meals and people can meet together and we can all meet together more often. Soon, we hope. And you find it in, in uh, the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 9, verses uh, 6 to 12 it is. It's an awesome passage. It says, but this I say, he who gives sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of them give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed and you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but is also is abounding through many to thanksgiving to God. So this is a seed faith offering. Seed in the bag does not produce a crop. You plant a seed. So when I took a team to South Africa to do ministry, we went to a very poor area, and there was hundreds and actually probably thousands of people there. 
and they heard about that we were having a building program here at Sunrise. The, the person spoke about our building, and we didn't bring it up, they did. And they all got together and gave us coins, and I mean, there was hundreds and maybe, maybe even thousands of people, and it came to the sum total in American currency of $60. And right away, the team started, oh, you know, we, we can't take their money, and we're, I said, quit being Americans. The kingdom of God works just as good for South Africans as it does for Americans. And we have sometimes an American mentality rather than a kingdom mentality. And they all said, oh, we, you know, we need to give the money back to the pastor or, or, you know, 60. I said, look, this might be like the widow's mite. This might be the greatest offering this church ever receives. And if we tear their seed up and give it back, we've just stopped them from having a harvest. And so we took the money, we got cash, I did it with other people, there was actually 60 U.S. dollars that got planted in this church building from our brothers and sisters in South Africa because we followed the principles of the kingdom, not American principles of our thinking that we know more than God does. And I didn't want to tear their seed. So we're going to have a heart for the house offering. This isn't a big thing to try and manipulate you, but our pastor and the elders have asked you to pray to plant a seed. I believe this is good soil. It doesn't say you're supposed to plant a seed necessarily amongst someone who's having a hard time. It would be better to do almsgiving. You'll get paid back. But when you plant a seed on good soil, every smart farmer knows you want to plant your seed where there's good soil, where there's fruit. It's not smart to plant your seed on asphalt. So you need to plant your seed, your seed faith, because it said God multiplies. And he will give us, he promised, abundance for every good thing and for every good work. So you look for a place to plant your seed. I believe planting your seed in the, you know, in the heart for the house offering is a good seed to plant your seed into this building being expanded for the purpose of the kingdom, for having a kitchen where we can have meals and be family, invite people after the church services to eat together, where we can have you know, our, our uh, home groups and our house churches gather and actually have a meal. And when someone's here for the first time, we can invite them to have a meal and sit down with us and get to know them and talk. I believe it's good soil. But again, above all, be motivated by God. Do only what God tells you to do. You, if you know the heart of this church, we're never here to manipulate people or twist their arms about money. For now 34 and a half years, God's met every need of this church since we started. We've never had to beg for money. We've never had to say, and I know there's 12 people here that have $10,000, and I want you all to stay. That's, that's manipulation. That's trying to tell you what to give when only God can tell you what to do. And be sure it's motivated by love. Be sure it's motivated by obedience to God because nothing else really, really works. And then people get hurt, people get angry. So Father, we thank you today for your incredible goodness. Thank you for the patience, Lord, of this family to listen. And I pray that you teach us how to be motivated by your kingdom, to live for an audience of one. Lord, forgive us. We've all at times wanted to please others. It's all right to be, to be liked, to be accepted, to want to be a part of a group. There's nothing wrong with that, Lord, but there's times... Lord, in our own hearts, we know that we've done things to have men see us. And Lord, we pray you'd help us to grow in that, that we would be a people that would seek to please the Father. And we would let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works done by good motivations and they would glorify you, Father, that it would all go towards you and to your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you that you sent your son to die for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were the greatest gift, the indescribable gift, as the writer said. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. Lord, we thank you you've left us on this planet to share the good news, to be witnesses of all we've seen and heard. Lord, I've seen so much and heard so much. I know I have a great responsibility to tell the stories of your glory, Lord. 
to tell the stories of your love and your mercy and your kindness, your righteousness and your holiness, and the way you've lavished love upon me so undeserved, so undeserved, Lord. I'm nothing without you. I'm nothing without you. I've proved it so many times. But, oh God, I pray if anyone's in the sound of my voice or watching by live stream that doesn't know you, they will surrender their life to you. The Son of God who came down from heaven and in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him and without Him nothing was made. And you came and took upon yourself the form of human flesh. You were born of a virgin. You left the glory of heaven to glorify your Father and to bring the love of God to the earth. You lived a holy life, Lord, and we only see glimpses when you were 12 as you went into the temple and you, you caused the scholars to wonder how could a young boy speak like this. And you sat in your father's carpenter shop for 30 years and prepared yourself for three years of ministry that would turn the world upside down forever. And you lived a holy life, a life full of love, a life full of truth and compassion. And you saw the world, all of us as sheep without a shepherd. May we see the world and the, the people of America and the people of the world as sheep without a shepherd like you do. And may we go and love them for you. Lord, you lived a holy life and they nailed you to the cross and our sin nailed you to the cross. And you were put in Joseph Arimathea's tomb and you rose on the third day and you ascended, Lord to the right hand of the Father after you taught the apostles and the disciples and were seen of 500 and for 40 days spoke to them pertaining to the things of the kingdom. And, and they were still waiting for you to crush the Roman political system. They were still waiting for you to come and do it the way they wanted it done. And you said, my kingdom is one of the heart and one of love. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And yes, there's a time to pick up the sword. There's a time to war, but Lord, there's a time to show the love of God. It's always a time to show the love of God. And you now sit at the right hand of the Father in power and glory, and you offer eternal life. And this life is in your Son. You said, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And this is the record that God has given us eternal life. And Lord, the world is so in need of the message we carry and we embody and we say that we live. May we live it to its fullest. In this most challenging season, may we arise to the challenge. You've put us on the planet for such a time as this. Not just to be echoes of what other people are saying and what we heard from others, but to tell people what we have seen and heard in the secret place. That our witness in our lives might cause people to fall at your feet, Lord. It would be our highest honor. Our highest honor, Lord, would be to fall at your feet with them for the one who's loved us so magnificently. And I pray you'd raise up young men and young women that would go to their schools and go to their neighborhoods and would carry something than just their destiny and what their occupation will be, although those things are important, but they will carry the message of the gospel. They will embody the life of Christ. They will be, Lord, disciples that have a heart, the kingdom heart of a disciple, and they will change their other young men and women's lives. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Dan, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to be born again. I need a new life. I need a new start. I need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus died and rose, that you could receive his love, that you could be forgiven, and you could become a son and daughter of the living God. Is there anyone like that? If you're here this morning, wave at me if that's you. If you're watching by live stream, you can just bow your knee right now and ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your life. Is there anyone who would say, that's me? 
I always like to ask, wave your hand high if that's you. If you're watching by live stream, please contact us. You can contact us. We'll help you. One of the young ladies baptized in water this month heard the message over live stream and gave her heart to Christ sitting in her home. She came to get baptized in water. You know, the gospel, when it's preached, it always brings power. And some of you need healing. Some of you need deliverance. Some of you need freedom to live the Christian life. Be like Jesus when they came to arrest him. They came back to the authorities and said, why didn't you bring him? They said, never a man spoke like that. And you won them with your words. You won them with your heart. May the church again win the world with our voices and our hearts. And may we serve those that are lost and our enemies. May we love our enemies. May we bless those who persecute us. That we might be like our Father that's in heaven. Forgive us, Lord. Where we fail, but help us to grow up in this season. Thank you that you've caused and allowed this. You've caused things and you've not allowed everything, but you've allowed this to happen for the church's sake to grow up. Help us to grow up in this season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up front. If you need healing, you need deliverance, you need freedom, we serve a mighty God, and no one can stop the Lord Almighty. I need the team to come right now. We're here to pray for you. We're here to love you. I know it's easy to walk in and walk out, but let someone pray for you if you have a need. And remember, take the gospel. Live for the audience of one. Be motivated by his love, and, and give according to how the scriptures tell you to give with the right motivation and watch God reward you with more of his presence and more of his blessing. Thank you so much for listening to the Sunrise Message of the Week. This is just one of the ways that you can get Sunrise Christian Center's content. Check out our YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram for more content. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.